I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. This is our uh, Sunday in which we will take time to look at the theme of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I want to do that uh, looking at the story of Abraham and his encounter with two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. I think most of us would agree that there is a lack of gratitude in the culture that we live in. We are so richly blessed uh, as a country. Our children have grown up with so much. And so there is a persistent concern, I believe, that we have as parents, uh, and hopefully a concern that we have for ourselves, that relates to the topic of gratitude. And I just have a conviction that we need to learn to fight against the uh, prevalence of ingratitude that is present in a very blessed and wealthy culture. Most of you have a knee-jerk response when your children come back to you and say, so-and-so gave me this uh, at the office. If a young child comes into the office, I have a tendency to want to give them some health food out of my drawer. And uh, so I always wave them in and they come in and I give them something, check all the allergies on the list first. And then give them a gift, and when they go out in the hallway, guess what the uh, question I hear from parents most frequently is? Not, is there peanut butter in there? No. You know, yeah, where's mine? Okay. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, what's the question? Did you say thank you? Why? You're afraid that your kids are going to grow up and be just like you. Right? There is, in our hearts, a common tendency to lack appreciation, to lack gratitude. And I would guess that most of us don't have a reason to be ungrateful. Really? Really? But most of us live with the fear, with the concern, that our kids, when they get something, we're saying, did you say thanks? We assume that it's best to assume that they forgot to say thank you. I want to say thank you for something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. A number of you gave me uh, and my wife uh, some gifts, and we want to thank you for that. Last Sunday morning, somebody left something on my desk. I don't even know who to thank. It made me cry. It made me feel very blessed. Um, I don't even know who to say thank you to. That's hard. There's a blessing when we share gratitude. Don't you just hate it when somebody does that secret thing for you, and you're like, it bugs you, right? Because you can't, you want to say thanks and you can't. It's a great blessing in being grateful. I think it's Abraham Lincoln who said, when gratitude dies on the altar of the heart, the soul is well nigh helpless. When we become grateful, he had the, ungrateful, he had the conviction that we have become just about helpless. When you have someone who can't receive gifts and respond with appreciation, there's a deadness in the soul that has begun to arise. This morning, I want to ask this question. Are you grateful to God? I want to ask myself the question. Tim Hoff, are you grateful to God for the blessings, the abundant blessings that He has poured into my life and into the lives of those around me? Many of us can rightly see ourselves as ungrateful people. And I don't know about you, but this morning, I, I want to say this. I am at times stunned 
by my ingratitude. I'm taken, taken back by it. That I can be so blessed and so quick to complain, which was one of the symptoms. A lack of contentment is a symptom of ingratitude as it arises in our hearts. And so this morning, I want you to take a simple test with me this morning, looking at this story from the life of Abraham, and ask yourself this question, am I, am I ungrateful? And if you, as you look at this text this morning, come to the conclusion that, you know what, I do not have the depth of gratitude in my heart that I should have in light of the profound and abundant blessings that God has given to me. May God help me to cultivate towards Him a deeper, God-glorifying gratitude in my life. When we come to this passage of Scripture, chapter 14 of Genesis, which we've been going through in Sunday school, uh, we have come to a time when Abraham has been very blessed by God, called from his homeland, has relocated to a new uh, town, uh, a new city, a new place, a new uh, land, a new environment. He's come there. God has blessed him and directed his steps right to the place where he wants him to found and establish the nation that would be called Israel. Not long after he is there, there is a division between he and his nephew Lot. Lot goes down to live next to a place named Sodom. We know a city of wickedness. Abraham takes the higher ground near Jerusalem in that region. And they begin to experience the blessing of God. But there is an occurrence of international instability and conflict in the area where Abraham and his nephew live. The end result of that conflict between two sets of four kings and five kings, the end result is that Lot, the nephew of Abraham, is captured at the city of Sodom. And he is taken away by some of the kings who had come to attack the land where Abraham lives. Abraham makes a decision. He calls together 318 of his fighting men and goes and probably, from best we can understand, with a unique strategy, uh, surprises them in an evening assault and delivers Lot, gets back all the people that were taken out of Sodom, and he's now returning from that battle back to the, towards the city of Sodom and the land where he himself lives. Verse 17, you find him coming back into the land after Abraham returned, Genesis 14, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedor Lo-Amur and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. So you have this first encounter with the king of Sodom. What kind of a city is Sodom? What do you know about Sodom? Okay? If your children called you and said, hey, I'm moving to Sodom, your response hopefully would be, no, don't go there. Don't go there. That's a wicked place. Don't spend your life there. Don't put yourself in that danger. They say, Tim, where do you get that? Go back to verse 13 of chapter 13. After Lot made a decision to go to Sodom, it says, now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against God. Meaning that city had a reputation as being a wicked city. So the first king that comes out to meet him is a king who oversees a vastly wicked city. He, we could say, is a king of pagans. Second thing, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, saying. Okay, so what do you have? You have this contrast of two different kinds of kings 
who are now meeting with Abraham as he returns. What does Abraham, Abraham have in his train behind him? He has all the people that he's rescued and all the plunders of war. And he's coming back now as the one who with 318 men, it's reminiscent, isn't it, of the story of Gideon and the battle that he experienced and the victory that God gave him against great odds. That's the picture that comes to mind for me. So Abraham is coming back in. He's experienced a tremendous victory and he's met by two kings. In verse 18, I love what this says. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God. He blessed Abraham saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the Creator of heaven and earth. And I love what he says next. And blessed be the God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hands. What is the concern of Melchizedek, king of Salem? You know what his concern is? That Abraham won't walk away from this victory thinking that it was all about him. That he won't walk away thinking, I defeated those kings and I delivered these people. The king of Salem comes out, Melchizedek comes out to him and says, Abraham, I've got news for you. That battle that you just won, and you can go back up into um, verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 16 of chapter 14. It says, He, Abraham, recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Okay, who did that? Well, the text tells me Abraham did it. But as Abraham comes back into the land of Palestine, he is met by a king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And he says, Abraham, you didn't do that. God did that through you. And apart from God, you could not have accomplished that glorious and profound victory. The first thing that I believe emerges from this text, when you look at Abraham's response to the blessings of God in his life, is found at the, at, at the end of... Uh, Look at verse 20. Just start at the beginning of verse 20. It says, And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then, what happens? Then Abraham... Hi, Jared. You're visiting from Puerto Rico. I didn't see you there. Good to see you. Good to have you with us. Everyone knows who you are, right? Okay. We'll take care of that later, right? Okay. Okay, here's what the text says. Then Abraham gave him... This representative of God Most High, he's a priest of God Most High, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now folks, just think about this. What is the first indication, the first symptom of gratitude? What is the first way to test my heart to say, okay God, am I grateful to you for the blessings that you have allowed to come into my life? What's the first test? I believe the first test is the test of generosity. A generosity motivated by the profound and gracious provision of God. And I believe that is the first thing that happens here. Abraham is met by this priest. The first thing he does when he hears that God has delivered him, then Abraham releases a tenth of everything that he has to king and priest Melchizedek. What is this giving to God from Abraham through the priest to the Most High God? What is it? I believe it is this. I believe it is an expression of gratitude and ownership. Abraham is saying, everything, Lord, comes from you. I have been graciously reminded of that. And now I want to confess that it all belongs to you. And so Abraham comes back into the land. He's reminded of where the blessing comes from. And he says, you know what, God? 
I give you a tenth of everything I have. Folks, generosity is the first test that we can take to say, am I leaning towards ingratitude or am I leaning towards gratitude? It's a word that we use in our culture that has a very specific meaning that tends to be negative. It's the word liberal, meaning unbounded. But when it comes to our relationship to God-given possessions in our life, every Christian should be characterized as a liberal. They should practice liberality in their giving. When you look at your stuff, do you realize that it is a result of God's abundant and rich blessing in your life? And do you give to Him out of a sense of deep gratitude? It is the first indication of or the first indication of gratitude in your life is this heart that becomes generous to God second thing I would like us to look at we pick up in verse 21 it says the king of Sodom said to Abraham give me the people and keep the goods for yourself but Abram said to the king of Sodom I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap or thong of a sandal, so that you will ever be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Verse 24, I will accept nothing. Okay, I will accept nothing. I want you to see the second indication of gratitude is indicated in this, te- in this text, I believe it is this. I believe when you are grateful to God, He will have all of you. He will have every part of your life. And the way Abraham expressed this, I'm going to use this word, Abraham expresses to God a statement of complete surrender. Of complete surrender. If you were encountered by someone who had a gun, and they walked up behind you with that gun, and touched your back with it. What would your initial response be? You're saying it depends how well I'm trained. Right? I know with some people. What would the typical response? What would the expected? Show me what the expected response is. Okay? What does that mean? Don't touch me! No, what does it mean? Are you touching my wallet? No, you know, when you put your hands on it, you know, you, what, hey, you turn around like, okay, my hands are up. What is it? It is, it is a sign of surrender. It is a sign that you can do with me whatever you want to do. How did Abraham respond to God? Would you look at this with me? Verse 22, Abraham said to the king of Sodom. In other words, the king of Sodom is saying, hey, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to give you the stuff that you rescued. Abraham says to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high. I have made a statement of complete surrender to God. I have raised my hand and made a commitment to Him in raising my hand. Some of the texts are going to say Abraham had sworn with an upraised hand to God. What is Abraham saying? God, I give you everything and I trust you for everything. If you find that you are stingy towards God, if you are reluctant to give your life towards God, to take your resources and release them to God, time, treasure, and talents, you should do an examination of your heart. I should examine my heart and say, God, am I wrestling with the issue of ingratitude in my life that is causing me to see it as my life, a life that is not surrendered to you? 
surrender is the means by which I commit myself to God. And Abraham surrendered himself to God with upraised hands. He was the man who asked nothing and gave everything to God, one writer said. He was open-handed with God because he was a man who was grateful for the benefits that God had given to him. And so this text shows us that Abraham could say to this king, I'm not interested in your stuff because I have sworn to the Most High God. I have surrendered to the Most High God my entire life. Look then in verse 22. Go a little further in the verse. I've raised my hands to the Lord God, Most High Creator of heaven and earth, and I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Why does Abraham say this? Why, does he, why is Abraham so open-handed? Why is he so reluctant to receive blessings from humanity? Why? Why? And I believe the third test of gratitude is this. If I'm grateful to God, I believe that I will have God-glorifying confidence that is rooted in God's faithfulness. Here's this question. When Abraham raised his hands to God, what kind of hands do you think he raised to the Lord? What kind of hands? Think he had stuff in his hands? All kinds of stuff. He's like lifting it up to God. I don't think that's what was happening. I think Abraham is lifting up to God hands that are empty. What is Abraham saying? God, I depend on you. I trust in you. I have complete confidence. And this is the word on the third point. I have confidence in that is rooted in your faithfulness. And folks, let me say this. When you are confident in God's provision in your life, you will begin to live a life that glorifies God. It glorifies God. Think of a precious gift. You know, somebody left a gift on my desk last Sunday. I've told a number of people about that gift. I'm trying to read body language to see if I can discern. You know, you know what I'm saying? Is it you? Is it you? Who did that? Okay, you know why? And here's what I'm doing. I'm going around saying to people, I can't believe that somebody would be that generous. To, hi, Madeline. I can't believe someone would be that generous to me. And you know what I'm doing? I'm telling everybody about that person who is nameless. And you know what that's doing? That's frustrating me. So if you did that, okay, after the service, come up here and confess. I'll just know by your presence that it was you, okay? Because here's what happens. You experience a blessing. You know what you want to, you want to tell people about that. When you've experienced the grace of God in your life that forgives you over and over and over again, and He still continues to bless in your life, you want to go to people and say, the God I serve is a great God. He's so faithful and loving and loyal. Folks, we need to remember that God gives to us out of an abundant storehouse. I love what Melchizedek said to Abraham in verse 19, because this kind of prepares him for how he's supposed to respond to the pagan king of Sodom. Abraham says, Blessed is Abraham by God Most High. Hey, Abraham, that God created the heavens and the earth. He gives out of His unlimited resources. He is the maker of all things. He is the God who cannot default on His Word. He is the God who has unlimited resources. He is the God who is never in danger of foreclosure. He is the God who always pays His bill, bills, who has the resources necessary to keep unbelievable promises. Now, folks, if I respond to God with confidence, you know what I'm saying, God? I thank you for where you have brought me thus far in my life, and I trust you with the rest of my life. Abraham says, I made that proclamation with outstretched hands before the living God. 
You know why? Abraham had seen God work in his life. And it's not that he didn't wrestle with faith because he is a man who wrestles with issues of integrity, honesty, all kinds of things. They kind of plague Abraham's life. But in the end, he comes to these profound kinds of statements and expresses in God a a deep level of confidence that produces a profound sense of worship from his heart. So the third test of gratitude do I have God-glorifying confidence rooted in His faithfulness? I want to ask you this question this morning. Right now, what is your confidence in? Some of you may be saying, Pastor Tim, I have to be honest and say I'm starting to lack confidence. The financial turmoil that our country appears to be sliding into, falling into, this credit tsunami, as one called it, is shaking me to the very depths of my heart. Abraham would look at you and say, blessed be God, the creator of heaven and earth, who will meet your needs. And when Christians respond to these kinds of circumstances with deep confidence, it glorifies God. Abraham says to this king, he says, I want you to know, I spread my hands to God most high. Psalm 143.6, David puts it this way. He says, I will lift my hands to you in prayer. Why? Because I thirst for you as parched land thirst for rain. What is the psalmist saying? God, I'm extending my hands to you saying, I am dependent upon you and I am confident that the source of my greatest blessings in life will be you. And so the psalmist says, I raise my hands to you. I am like parched ground. God, pour out your rain on my life. And the psalmist goes to God with a complete degree of confidence because he is the God most high who made all things. Verse 23. Abraham's response to the king of Sodom. I've spread out my hands to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And here's the oath that I have taken. I just love this. He looks at Sodom. Sodom says, you know what, Abraham? Look at all this beautiful stuff you've brought back. If you just give me the people, then I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And I'm going to let you have all the stuff that you went and rescued in that war. If I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. I went and fought your city lost. I went and rescued your people and all of your stuff. And you think you're going to do something for me? That would be my reaction. Abraham sees it as an opportunity to give glory to God. He says, okay, Sodom, I have a response to that offer of generosity on your part. My hands are spread to God. I expect God to meet my needs. I expect God to bless in my life. I expect God to be the one who supplies everything that I need. So much so, I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Not even a thread. I just love that statement. You know, kings like to control people by giving them stuff. Some governments like to control people by giving them stuff. Okay? The king is blessing it. Why? He wants to make Abraham his pawn. He wants to be able to say, Abraham, remember, come help. You owe me. Then who is Abraham's allegiance to? It's to the king of Sodom, not to God. Abraham is aware of that. So he confesses to this king of Sodom, I have a deep contentment. And this is the fourth test. Am I grateful? Well, here's the question. Are you content? Are you content with God's provision in your life? Am I satisfied? Or am I restless? Always wanting a little bit more. 
Abraham had a contentment rooted in God's generous provision. That contentment caused him to say to this pagan king, I will accept nothing from you. And I want to say this. The offer that is given to Abraham in this text is indeed a tempting offer. It is appealing. It looks very delightful. It is tempting when we are blessed or unusually effective to take credit for what has been done and to think that God owes us. Don't we feel that way? But Abraham has sworn, he has made a statement in his heart that he won't accept anything from this king, not even a thread. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, is Abraham being a little bit extreme here? A little bit extreme. How does Abraham pass this test? Where does Abraham get this deep-rooted confidence in God and contentment in God's provision? Where is it coming from? What's it rooted in? What's the source of that kind of confidence? And I think the answer to that question is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Let me just read this verse for you. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and simply went even though he had no idea where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Four. And this gives me the key to the confidence and contentment that is part of Abraham's life. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. Why was Abraham so content before God? Why was he so filled with gratitude? Why wasn't he prone to grab stuff at every opportunity? Why wasn't he selfish and ungrateful? You know why? He knew God had all of his bases in the future covered. And as he leaves the land of the Ur of the Chaldees and travels to Palestine, in the back of his mind, what is motivating him is this. He says, I know I have a city who, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Let me ask you this question. When does Abraham receive that city? Does he receive that when he gets to Palestine? The answer to that question is no. No. Well, then what's he talking about? He's talking about the future hope that God has secured for him. He knows in the future he will be one of the most blessed men. And that for him is producing a degree of confidence that glorifies his God and that frees him to say to this king, I don't want any of your stuff. Oh, let me, let me restate it, Abraham says. I don't need any of your stuff. My hands are stretched out to God. I am expecting that he, Jehovah God, will be the one who provides for and meets every one of my needs. David reflects a sentiment like this. He says, you have know, made me to know the path of life. Psalm 1611, you have made me to know the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Friend, as you struggle, as you watch bank accounts disappear, as you watch stock portfolios dissipate, remember what David said? Remember what Abraham hoped for? Not for stuff in this life, not for, not for material possessions that are going to pass away. I was listening to a radio broadcast yesterday and this uh, guy on the talk show program was recounting this severe decline in bank stocks. He was indicating for the audience how that if you own bank stocks within the last 6 to 12 months, you have watched 
in value, $1,000 be reduced to about $100 to $150. He then went on to point out that if you own insurance, stock in insurance companies, you've watched your portfolio value typically go in dollars from $1,000 down to somewhere between $5 and $9. Okay, you have watched your equity disappear. I'm sitting there listening, and I'm thinking, this is so encouraging. Right? <laughs> and I realize something. I realize there are people in my church family, in my own IRA account, that are watching this stuff go away. You know what first came to my mind? I thought of a verse in Proverbs. I had to go on Bible Gateway to find it quick. Proverbs 23, 5. Listen to this. Cast it, and this is, this is why Abraham can say, I don't want your stuff. I don't need your stuff. Cast a glance at riches. Solomon, the richest man in the world, says to his son, cast a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout rings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Should that not be like the headlines on newspapers in America today? Not the end of happiness, but no. This is what happens with possessions. They make wings and they fly away like an eagle to the sky. They are unpredictable. And this is why Abraham, he could say, my contentment in life is not rooted in the fact that my portfolio is going up. It may be up or down, Abraham is saying. I don't know, but I know this. I know that I have a guaranteed death benefit. And that's what I'm living for. And that's why he could say to the king of Sodom, uh, no thanks, no thanks. I don't want to have anything come into my life that would steal glory from the God whose reputation and honor I live to protect. Look at how this passage unfolds in verse 23 and following. This, this will be the last thought that I share with you this morning. I believe that I can assert that Abraham was a grateful man because he had a deep passion to protect the glory of God. He had a deep passion to protect the glory of God as creator of heaven and earth. And I just love this. You go back to verse 19. Melchizedek, king of Salem, says, Blessed be God, or be Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Abraham thinks about that. Turns to the king of Sodom who says, Abraham, I just want to bless you. Just give me the people and all the goods you can have for yourself. Abraham's response, I love what he says. God most high, creator of heaven and earth, is the one that I am seeking to honor. I'm seeking to glorify. Therefore, I took an oath. I will accept nothing. And here's the question that comes to my mind. Abraham, when did you take this oath? When did that happen? Did that happen as Abraham was gathering together his 318 men and he was marching them in formation down to where Lot was in captivity along with all the goods from the city of Sodom? And as he's on his way there, he's thinking to himself, if God grants me victory by his grace, and I believe he will because he's given me a promise that isn't fulfilled yet, then when God blesses, and I come back with all of the plunders of war, all the spoilage of war, when I come back, I'm not going to want any of it. I don't want it. Did he take an oath before God as he was going and say, God, if you bless this venture, I don't want any of it. And then I ask myself this question. Why does he make such an oath? I mean, the Bible doesn't say that Christians can't have stuff, does he? It doesn't say that. 
But Abraham makes this pledge. And then you start getting into his heart. What is motivating Abraham? What's driving him? He says, I have made an oath that I will take except nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap or thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, and I think this is the key, I made Abraham rich. What is Abraham's concern? He has been called by God and blessed by God, and he doesn't want anyone to mistake the source of his blessing. Notice how he kind of fleshes this out. He says, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. And then this question still comes to mind. Abraham, why? Go back up to where he talks about the sandal in verse 23. Begin verse, uh, yeah, verse 23. He says, I will accept nothing from you, not even a thread, which sounds to me extreme, so that you pagan king of Sodom will never be able to say I made Abraham rich. What is Abraham's concern? That when people look at his life they will see that the blessings that have come into the life of Abraham are rooted in the goodness and power of his God. That's what he wants them to see. It is that that he is protecting. Did Abraham, this question comes to mind, did Abraham have a right to a share in the spoils from war? What do you think? He goes, he fights, he wins, he brings back the spoils. Wouldn't you think logically that he would have a right to those things? I think if you looked at the end of uh, verse 24, he says, let them, meaning the men who went with him, let them have their share. Which implies what? Abraham had his share in the spoils also. But he refused to take them. Why? You've got to be thinking to yourself, Abraham, what harm would there be? Right? He gets home and tells his wife, I won. What'd you get? Nothing. Why not? Because I, think about this. Ladies, think about this answer from your husband. Because I was seeking to live for the glory of God. I was concerned about the reputation of God today. So as I was marching my soldiers down to that battlefront, in my heart, I said to God, I can't take anything that comes from the city of Sodom because I don't want the king of Sodom to ever be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I don't want what's the king of Sodom to sit down with his four friends, his four pagan king friends, and say to them, look, you see how, how rich Abraham is? Yeah, I did that. I did that. You know what Abraham knew? That glory would be stolen from God. And Abraham says, look, if achieving the glory of God and the desire for that is flowing out of deep gratitude for the blessings of God in his life, if achieving the glory of God means saying no to things, means giving up 10% for the purpose of God's work, if that's what it means, what is Abraham saying? I'm willing. I am quite willing to do that for the glory and honor of the God who has saved me and changed my life. Psalm 73 25 comes to mind. There is a deep contentment in Abraham that is yielding this passion to protect his glory. Psalm 73, 25, I think, captures this thinking. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. To come to a place in our lives where we are free from enslavement to things, where we are free from the discontentment that is rooted in a decrease in our financial status, and watching the value of our homes dissipate severely and significantly. 
Abraham was delivered from that fear because he had a heart that was filled with gratitude. That gratitude overflowed with the desire to protect the glory of God with all of his might and with all of his strength. I may ask the question, isn't it a little extreme? Isn't he overreacting? But when I see Abraham's concern that a pagan king would take credit for the work of God, Abraham says, I'm sorry, I can't have a part in that. I can't have a part in that. Folks, we are so richly blessed. We are so richly blessed. And one of the great indications of the blessing that we as Christians have is found, if you go back real quickly to a passage that I glossed over very, very quickly. Verse 18. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a priest of the Most High God, comes out to meet Abraham. And what does he bring in his hands? What does he give to Abraham? You know what the text says? He gives him bread and wine. Where does that happen in Scripture? Who blesses like that? And who does that? Think of the Lord's table. The one who breaks the bread and gives the wine is the king of righteousness. He's Christ. And the one who is the king of the city of Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, it's Christ. The first thing that Melchizedek does when he meets Abraham is he gives him symbols of life that point forward to and anticipate the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ who Paul will later say, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might be what? Rich. What is he saying? So that through the poverty of Jesus, who was rich, gave it up, came down, and in his poverty died on a cross to set us free, offered to his disciples symbols of this freedom, and made us rich. When does the riches come? Please don't think that they come in this life. If God blesses you in this life, don't think that that in any way compares to what Christ purchased for you on Calvary's cross. Because what He purchased for you is what Abraham was talking about in Hebrews 11.8. I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And the only way to get there is through the message of the wine and the bread that is the blood and body of Christ. But folks, does that make you grateful? Can you go to God and say, God, I have the hope of heaven, so my portfolio is going in the tank, so my job may be threatened, so I may have to adjust my lifestyle. And I've thought about that recently. I've thought about that as a pastor. That if our people in our church family start losing their job and start losing income, there's a good chance that the giving in our church family will decrease. And that I may have to accept a cut in pay in order for this church to continue. I've, I've sat at my desk and thought about that. I've asked myself this question. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Are you so thrilled with the prospect, the future hope that God has given you that you can put up with just about anything in this life because you have a passion for the glory of the one who has become poor so that you can become rich? Folks, this is the heart of worship. It flows out of gratitude. That's why when you go into the book of Revelation, it says we're giving praise to the Lamb who is worthy of all glory and honor and power and blessing. Why? Because He purchased with His blood people from every tongue, 
tribe, and nation. Let that sink in. If you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, redeemed by the blood of Christ, you have the hope of heaven. That's what allows Abraham. He's like, I don't need your stuff. It's not bad having it. We all enjoy a lot of perks in this country. But may God help us to appreciate the blood of Christ, the hope of heaven that the blood purchases, even when times are bad. May we not become ungrateful when there's an economic downturn in a way that steals our passion for the glory of God. May we be able to say to people, you know what, this is tough. Don't act like it's not there. It's there. And it's likely to get a lot worse. But there is something in the midst of the instability that is sure. There is something that will survive the tsunami. And that is the hope of heaven. Outside of the realm of the world that you and I live in is a place that Jesus said, I am preparing for you. And one day I will come again and will take you to be with me forever. Folks, that's the sure thing we have. So in the midst of the struggles, go to God and say, God, this hurts. But I don't need that stuff that's been taken away. I don't need it. God, give me a heart that is grateful because the greatest gift that anyone could ever have, I have through the precious shed blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ. I think of Psalm 16 and verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy, pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Would, would you take a verse like that? And say, God, etch that in my heart. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's contentment. That's glory to God. To say that he is the one who satisfies me. And folks, that's why Abraham could look at the king of Sodom and say, now I get a little sarcastic here, you're a sorry soul. I don't need your stuff. Everybody around you needs your stuff. They'd love to be blessed by you, but I don't need it. Why, Abraham? Because I have spread empty hands to God Most High, and I am trusting that God to meet every need that I have in my life. Every necessity, I believe, He will provide for me. That's why when you get to chapter 15, the next chapter, what does God say to Abraham? After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. I, I just love this. Abraham has just stood up for God. He's just said no to the king of Sodom. He said no to a brand new car chariot. Okay? He just said no to it. And Abraham's probably walking away thinking, Why did I, what was I thinking? How am I going to answer my wife when I get home? I got nothing to show. We won. Winners bring stuff home. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. On the way, I went like this. And it changed my perspective. I gave up everything. I said, God, I don't want his stuff. I just want you. You fill my hands. You fill my hands. That's what the psalmist can say. My upraised hands as an evening offering to you, God. What are they? They're symbols of surrender. They're symbols of contentment. They're symbols of confidence. They're symbols of a desire to glorify God. That's what they are. God, you fill my hands. You meet my needs. You bring joy to my life. Don't let me panic in a way that steals glory from you. Give me a heart that is passionate for your glory because I know that I have a hope that is secure in heaven forever through Christ. May God help us to be grateful Christians. Help us to remember the blessings that we have, the hope of heaven, 
that has caused so many brothers and sisters in Christ to give up everything for the cause of Christ. Father, I thank you for your word this morning.